Well, good morning again. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning as we start a new sermon series into the book of 1 Corinthians. I have to be honest with you. Uh, normally, when we start one of these sermon series, it's not uncommon for you to hear me say the words that this is my favorite book. Uh, in fact, it has become kind of a joke among some of you that they are all my favorite books whenever I'm preaching them. I will be honest, 1 Corinthians is not my favorite book. <laughs> um, in fact, I have dreaded, uh, mo- many of you know that I... I I plan my sermon calendar out a year in advance, and uh, this is, uh, when I put this on the calendar, when the Lord led me to put 1 Corinthians on the calendar, I did so in pencil, um, praying that the Lord would lead me another direction, to be completely honest. And and you may say, why? That's weird. Why don't you like this book? This is a hard book. Uh, As we go through this book over the next couple of months, you will see that, that the Lord leads to Paul to write in this, that the Holy Spirit leads Paul to be very stern and very, um, very confrontational at times with the church in Corinth because they have completely gone off the rails in many ways. And that wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for the fact that many times the way that they go off the rails is the same way that I go off the rails. And so when he's stern, I I feel it, and it convicts me. And if you're human, you don't like it, and yet I know we need it. And so while it's not my favorite book, while I don't maybe say I love Corinthians, this might be the book that we need the most. Because in Corinthians, Paul begins to lay out not just the deep theology of the gospel, but he begins to lay out very practical implications for the gospel and how we deal with pride and how we deal with our marriage and how we deal with singleness and how we deal with our spiritual gifts and how we deal with Christian freedom and the, the ability for us to have a, a Christian conscience that will lead some of us to choose one thing and some of us to choose another thing, but at the end of the day, to choose to follow Christ and not to make another brother or sister stumble. On, on a whole host of things, he, just, he comes and confronts us. And it's good for us, especially as we think about our theme of the year of being a God-centered community that was the Corinthian problem is that they didn't know, they knew how to be community, but they didn't know how to be God-centered community. And so at the end of the day, I cannot think of a better book for us to look at than 1 Corinthians, even if we come with it, come to it with a little bit of trepidation. That being said, as I sat down to chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, so that I might do the introduction to this book, as I read these first nine verses, I was just overwhelmed. I had forgotten the great grace of God at the beginning of this book. His great encouragement, not only to myself, but to this church, to the Corinthian church, 
this church that he was writing a letter that he knew was going to be difficult for them to read. And yet he writes such incredible words of encouragement and of grace towards them in these first nine verses. So I hope that as we go through this first nine verses this morning, that these will be etched into our hearts so that when we read difficult things later, we might remember that the heart of God is not to just continually come down on us, that the heart of God is not not to just beat upon us, but that the heart of God is that we may know Him and that we may know Him fully, that we may know His grace and His compassion That we may know Him in an intimate and deep relationship. And so when He comes to us in sternness, it is for our betterment, not for our sorrow. That when when we hear difficult words in the weeks and the months to come, that we would go back to this passage and we would remember His great love for us. And so I pray this morning... I am in no way, I I, I feel very humbled this morning. I I know that I'm going to fall short of the glory of this passage. But I pray this morning that you would be greatly encouraged by the words of Paul this morning and by the words that the Holy Spirit led him to. So if you would, stand with me that we may read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning. And again, Lord, we are thankful. Lord, I don't know that there ever is an end to that. There can never be an end to that. It will be an eternity of thankfulness for Your love and Your compassion towards us for your desire to not just be our creator, but to have a relationship with us, for your desire for us to live a life that is full and as it is intended. A thankfulness, Lord, that this is not all there is, but that you have given us great assurance of much more ahead. And that you have put us in a place and with a people to walk this journey with. Lord, that we, the thankfulness for our church, for this assembly, for our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would open your word to your hearts, Lord, to our hearts. I pray that you would give me the right words. 
Lord, that you would overcome my shortcomings and my failings and the English language, that you would speak into our hearts the glory and the worth of this passage. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Normally, as we would launch into a new book like this, I would give you a lot of background um, and give you a lot of context, but uh, I'm going to move that to next week, and I'm just going to give you just a, just a brief kind of overview. The church in Corinth, uh, before we even get into the notes, the church in Corinth was messed up. This was a city that was known for its debauchery. This was a city that was known to be a pleasure. Um, the closest thing that we have in our current world is probably Las Vegas. Uh, like th- that city that's known for just pleasure out of bounds. Um, and like you even hear people like my sister, I, I can tell this story. Um, I haven't cleared this one with her, but I'm pretty sure I'm safe. Um, you know, Lisa works for uh, the USDA, and uh, last year Lisa said, I said, where are you going? I, I knew she was going on a trip. I said, hey, where, where are they sending you? And she said, Las Vegas. And I looked at her, and I just kind of started giggling, and she said, stop it. Stop it right now. And because anytime we hear about that city, like there's certain things that come into our mind, right? And they're not good things. Um, you don't think, oh, I'm going to Las Vegas so that I can become more spiritual. Like that's not... Typically, what runs through our brains. That was the same for Corinth, okay? When people heard that you were going to that city or when they heard you were from that city, there were things that went into your brain that were not good. There were thoughts about, there, were, there was baggage with that city. Not only that, but this had been an incredibly difficult city for Paul to plant a church in. In fact, if you go back to Acts, I think it's chapter 18, if you go back to Acts, what you're going to find is Paul had great difficulty planting a church in this city to the point where he became so frustrated that he was ready to shake the dust out of his garments and just move on. And it was a word from God that said, no, I have people here that need to hear the gospel. And so Paul stayed and, and God opened the doors of grace that there may be a church planted there. This was, a, this was a difficult place to be. And these people had a difficult time in the church. They had, as I said earlier, gone completely off the rails in several areas. They were prideful. It was dividing the church. They had allowed sin into the church. They had, allowed, uh, they had completely disgraced the Lord's Supper. Um, there was just over and again, there, there were just so many problems in this place. And yet we come to this passage. And I, I pray that you would just keep those things in the back of your mind as you think about the words that he says to them here. Because they are marvelous words. They are marvelous words. As we begin, we just see the opening to this book and, and kind of just the greeting. Just the first three verses just introduce us to the whole letter. It was a common way of introduction. Uh, this, these first three verses are very common when you look at Greek letters of the time, not just of, of this letter or the New Testament letters, but all letters. It starts with who it's from. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle. It's important that we note that for the rest of the book because Paul introduces himself as an apostle He wanted to make sure that they knew that that he had authority, that he had been placed in an office of leadership among the church. And so as he writes the rest of this letter to them, he has reasonable expectation that they would listen. But it's interesting that he doesn't just say, I'm an apostle. He says that he's an apostle called by the will of God. 
He says, look, I didn't want this. This wasn't my life goal to be an apostle of the church. It wasn't my dream one day to say, I'm an apostle. In fact, if you go back and read Acts, you understand that Paul wasn't even his first name. It was Saul. And Saul was, had gained great importance in the Jewish community. And he was so vigor, vigorous for his faith, uh, his Jewish faith, that he sought to destroy the church. He killed Christians. He condoned the killing of, of other Christians. And he chased the church down that he may put them in prison. Paul hated the church. And yet it was on one of these journeys to go and to capture the church and to place them in custody that he met the risen Jesus Christ. And it changed his life. It completely changed his life. It changed his life so completely that it changed his name. No longer was he Saul, now he was Paul. No longer now was he chasing the church and persecuting the church. Now he was part of the church. He had become a family member. And over time, God gifted him and, and, and raised him up to be in this place of leadership. Paul says, look, I'm an apostle. I have authority, but the ultimate authority is not me. The ultimate authority is the one who has called me into this place. He goes on there, not only to say this is from Paul, but he, he tells us who it's written towards. He says there in verse 2, to the church that is in Corinth. Interesting note there that he says it's the church of God in Corinth. That word church there is the same word that we talked about a few weeks ago with Ecclesiastes. It's, it means, the Greek word there means assembly. To the assembly of God in Corinth. Now Corinth had lots of assemblies. They had an assembly for this idol, and they had an assembly for this idol, and they had an assembly for this political group, and that political group, and an assembly for that uh, line of work and assembly for that line of work and assembly for this group of guys and that group of gals. They had lots of assemblies. But Paul makes it clear, this letter is written to the assembly of God in Corinth. Paul's reminding them, just as he reminds them that it's not him who wanted to be an apostle, it's God, the authority of God that placed him in that role. He reminds them once he is reminding them here that they are not an assembly just because they chose to be an assembly. They are an assembly because of the work of God in their lives. It's easy for us to forget that. Often I use the, the common term, the common language, it's my church or our church, or we, we like to use those phrases. And I, I think for the most part, those are harmless things to say. If at the end of the day we remember that it's not our church, that it's not my church, that it's his church, that these, that we're all his people, that we're his family, that these are his resources and his gifts, and it's his mission, not our own. That's part of the problem that Corinth had had. They had taken on saying that this is my church, this is our church, and they had started to run the church that way completely neglecting whose church it really was. Paul here, I think, is remembering the great difficulty of planting a church here. And he says, look, this wouldn't have happened without him. And so we see here that he says that it's the, to the assembly of the church. He also says that they are sanctified by Christ. So this church not only is God's church, but it is God's church because of the great work that he has done in them. It's God's church because it's Him who is saved. 
None of them were the ones that sought Christ. In in fact, some of them were the ones that persecuted Paul when he first came into the church or first came into Corinth. And yet God had done a work in their lives and they had turned and and they had come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He had extended grace to them. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we did nothing to be saved. It was Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life. It was Jesus Christ that voluntarily laid down His life that He might die and shed His innocent blood for you and for me. It was Jesus Christ who picked His life back up again and was raised from the dead three days later, defeating death and the grave on our behalf. It was Jesus Christ who extends grace to you and me. It is Jesus Christ who provides us the faith to believe. Brothers and sisters, we are called into the church by His work, not our own. It changes the way we see our pride. It changes the way we see our gifts. It changes the way we see our lives. He also says there that we are connected to something greater in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll notice as you read through this passage over and over and over again, he repeats some phrase of Jesus Christ, either the Son of God, Jesus Christ, or our Lord Jesus Christ, or just Jesus Christ, our Savior. In some way, he repeats that name over and over and over again. That's not an accident. That's not merely chance. He reminds us that that it is the Lord that unifies us. Remember, this church is breaking apart at the seams. And he says, look, you were sanctified. You were saved into this. God called you into this church. And now you are part of a unified group, not just in Corinth, but around the world. He says that we are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He says, look, you're not, called, you're not called into just this little bitty church. He says, you're called into the global church. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is part of this assembly, part of this family. And we have responsibilities to them just as they have responsibilities to us. He opens the door. He says, look, Jesus Christ is your unifying presence it's him that has saved it's him that holds you together and i think he is reminding us as well the great theme uh, one of the great three themes of first corinthians he's reminding us that the answer to every question is jesus christ that was kind of a joke in our youth group when i was growing up like if someone asked a question and all of us sat there bumfuddled because we didn't know the answer we just said jesus if it was a math question we said five it was just that was the that was the kind of the generic answer and and ultimately you could answer that we were you could argue that we were right but paul here doesn't do it as a joke he says any question you have you turn to jesus christ you have a question about disunity in the church turn to jesus christ you have a question about marriage turn to jesus christ you have a question about how to use your spiritual gift turn to jesus christ you have a question about being single in the church turn to jesus christ you have a question about the family turn to jesus christ you have a question about the resurrection turn to jesus christ you have a question about whether you should eat this food offered to idols or not eat this food offered to idols turn to jesus christ you have a question about how to use your christian conscience and your christian freedom turn to jesus christ you have 
a question about how to handle difficult times in your life, turn to Jesus Christ. You have a question about how to deal with the chaos of life, turn to Jesus Christ. He repeats it over and over that He might encourage us. We live in a world, and I certainly am the most guilty of this, that when we have a question, we turn to Google. My family has started making fun of me that we, we use Google as a verb now, like Google it. And when we have a question, rather than just leaving it hang, often I reach in my pocket and I, and I, want, to, I want to look it up and I want to know the answer right away. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's guilty of that. Or we live in a culture, not, not me personally, I'm not a big Facebook person, but we live in a culture where when the best thing happens to us in the world, where do we go? We go to Facebook so we can post it so that everybody might know about it. My, my question for my own heart this week was, when I have a question, how many times is Jesus Christ the first thing that I turn to? When I have a life question that needs to be answered, how many times do I immediately think I need to go to Jesus Christ? When I have a great thing of excitement in life, how many times is my first thought I need to go to Him in thankfulness? Is He our great resource? Or is He simply another book on the shelf that we pick up when we want to? And most of the time we just neglect. Paul says, you have so many questions and I'm going to get to those. But remember at the very heart of everything is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul moves on from this introduction as he says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He, he goes from that right into thanksgiving. If you know much about this book, this may seem odd. If you know much about the history of Corinth, if you know much about the, what we're going to be talking about over the next several months, if you know much about 2 Corinthians, this may seem odd that he has a moment of thank, thanksgiving. This is a difficult church. And yet he says some incredible words towards them. Notice what he is thankful for. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given, in, given you in Christ Jesus. First, he is thankful for them. He's thankful for their presence. And he's thankful for the grace in their lives. He's thinking about this church and he's thinking about the great difficulty that he had there. He's thinking, I'm sure, about the fact that he wanted to give up at one time, that he thought there couldn't be a church planted in Corinth at one time, that he thought at one point this was a hopeless place and he was ready to leave town. But it was the grace of God that said stay. It was by the grace of God that he said, there is work to be done here. And so Paul stayed and Paul continued in, with great difficulty to preach the gospel until there were some that began to come, including Sosthenes. We'll talk about him later. But including this gentleman that he says, hey, I'm, I'm riding with him. That now there's this church planted and it's, it's a work of grace by God. Brothers and sisters, we, we should be reminded, we should be reminded that we are here by the grace of God. That He has extended grace to you. That that's how much he loves you. That no matter what mess was in your life beforehand, that no matter what mess is in your life now, no matter what the mess you come out of, that he has extended grace to you. That his love is never failing towards you. That should be great encouragement towards us. Not only that, but he goes on to say that 
as part of his thankfulness, this is one long sentence here, verses 4 through 9. He says in, his, in part of his thankfulness about the grace that God has given them, that he is thankful for the gifts that they've been given. He says there an interesting comment in the middle of this. He says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. What he means by that is God was pouring out spiritual gifts on them even when they were baby Christians. Even when they didn't understand very much about the faith. That God was blessing them with spiritual gifts. That he had given them great things. He says, in particular, you were gifted with speech and with knowledge. We know there are many people that can speak well, but they have no substance in that speech. And we know many people that have great knowledge, but they have very much difficulty in communicating that to other people. Some of the brightest, most intelligent people I know have great difficulty communicating that knowledge to other people. He says, but that's not you. You have knowledge you understand the gospel. You understand some deep things about theology. You, you have it all up here. And you have the ability to communicate. So much so that there were some in the church that were like, hey, I'm a better communicator than Paul. We don't have to listen to him anymore. Like they had those gifts. And he said, I'm thankful for those things. Not only that, but you have not, not been with lacking in any spiritual gift. He says there in verse 7, you're not lacking in anything. You have all of the gifts. Nothing has been withheld from you by God. And he says, I'm thankful for that. Even though we're going to read later in this book that some of those spiritual gifts were causing problems. Some of the pride, hey, I have the gift of tongues or I have the gift of hospitality or I have the gift of... That was great pride in their lives and it was causing problems. But he says, no matter that, I am thankful that you have those things. He goes on, and maybe with the greatest thing that is in this passage, he is thankful for God's faithfulness. And I'm just going to dwell on this one verse just for a little bit. He says, starting, well, I'll start in verse 7. It says, You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I was as I was preparing this sermon this week, verse 8 blew me out of the water. I, I knew where we're going. All of the trouble, all of the trial, all of the mistakes, all of the problems in the church of Corinth, and then to read this verse that God will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of the Lord. Think about that for a moment. This church had sin and dirt all over them. They were far from guiltless. They were far from innocent. And yet he says, in the day of the Lord, you will be guiltless. Some of you may have a a translation that's more modern that says you are free from guilty feeling, that he will make you free from guilty feeling. This goes far beyond feelings, my friends. There are plenty of times that I've done things that were not good that I didn't feel guilty about. Someone's laughing. I don't know why. There are plenty of times that we do things that are wrong that we don't feel guilty about. And there are plenty of times that we feel guilty about something, but it doesn't lead us anywhere. This isn't about a feeling. This is about being truly innocent. 
There will come a day when we stand before the throne of God, when we fully comprehend His holiness and His righteousness and His justice, and the books will be opened and our lives will be read. And when the, when the sentence is to be carried out, and the verdict is read, those of us that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the word will be innocent. And we will go, what? I really believe that. There, there's parts of me that, I mean, sure, we'll understand that it's about Jesus Christ. We'll understand that we have faith in him. And we'll understand that that's what's supposed to happen. But I'll look at my own life and I'll, I'll see the books read of all my thoughts and all my deeds. And I will think there is no reason for me to be innocent. There's every reason for me to be guilty. And the church of Corinth was the same. And yet he says, in your Savior, by His blood, you are innocent. Oh, brother and sister, I know that there are some of you that, and, and I, I at times in my life have been in this same camp, that we struggle. We sin, and we think, how could we do this? How could, how could we be a, a believer and feel this way? And we doubt our salvation. And this morning, the Word of God speaks to you. The Word of God comforts you that your salvation was not your work to begin with and the sustaining of your salvation is not your work and the proclamation of innocence is not your work. It is His and He will be faithful to you. Stand in that. Grab a hold of that this morning. That He loves you. That His grace for you is full. That He proved it on the cross and in His resurrection. And He has purchased your innocence with His own blood. This Paul is saying these words to a guilty church. He is saying these words to a guilty people that they will be found innocent if they are His. Those are amazing, amazing words to me. This is an amazing, amazing text to me. As I think about my own life, as I think about my own actions, and I think to myself, what a work He has done that I would be called innocent, that I would be called a child of God, that I would be brought into the assembly of the Lord. That, that is an amazing truth this morning. I wondered and I pondered about how to close this sermon. And I, I really couldn't come up with anything much better than this. And I, I apologize if this offends anybody, but I, I think this, this was profound for me. As we go back to our passage this morning, Brian, called by the will of God to be a pastor of Christ Jesus and our brothers and sisters around the world to the church of God that is in Corinth, or sorry, Vandalia, to the church of God that is in Vandalia, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I, your pastor, give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given in you in Christ, given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was being confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, He has called us, not by our own, not by our own merit, but by His grace. He has gifted us beyond all imagination, beyond all sensibility. He has given us more resources, more grace, more gifts, more talents than we could ever understand or use fully. And He is faithful. The Lord will sustain His people for as long as He sees fit and He will carry us through to the end. For all of this, for all of this, I am thankful to call this my home. To call this my church family. For all of this, I see great potential. And for all of this, I am passionate about us not wasting it. So as we go through Corinthians, there will be times that are stern. There will be times that are difficult. There will be times where we all face great conviction. No, it is out of the grace of God that we hear those things. Know that it is out of His great love for us and out of His great desire that we would be the ambassadors of Christ that He has called us to be. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of response. This morning, if you are a believer, I pray this morning that these words have encouraged you to know that God, to be reminded that God has given you such grace and such mercy, to be reminded that, that He loves you, to be reminded that He is with you forever and ever, to be reminded that you have great gifts and talents and abilities that He intends for you to use in this place, to be reminded that we have been made an assembly and a family together, that we may go on mission together. I pray this morning that you would worship in light of all those things, that we would contemplate and meditate upon those things this morning. I pray this morning that maybe you stand there and you don't know. You don't know about your relationship with God. You don't know where that stands. You don't know what that looks like. You don't know what it means to be innocent before a holy God. To know the hope and the assurance that He gives us. I pray this morning that, that He would be working in your heart and that you would not ignore that. That you would ask myself or someone, how do I know Jesus? How do I know this hope? How do I know this, this life? How do I know all that you're talking about? I pray that you, would, you can come and ask me. You can ask somebody else. You can grab me after service. But please, please don't let that moment go by.
Let me pray. Father, we just come before You this morning. And Lord, we thank You for how You love us in a way that we simply cannot fully grasp. Lord, how You have poured out Your grace in our lives in a way that is complete. How You (coughs) desire to sustain us and to keep us close throughout all of eternity. The great good Father that You are. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that You would or that you would fill in the gaps. Lord, I know that I fall far short of being able to describe the glory of this passage and the greatness of Your grace. I pray that You would be at the work in, in the hearts of us as individuals that we would understand it in a way that only You can help us to. And Lord, that it would move us. Lord, I pray for the one here, Lord, that doesn't know You, that doesn't know what it means to have a relationship with You. Father, that this morning, or that they would feel You moving, or that they would hear Your calling of their name, or that they would be reminded of, of the mistakes that we all have in our lives that, that would cause us to be called guilty, and yet that they would desire and know this morning the innocence that You provide. Father, I pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning you can...